Hi, I'm Jeff Sickinga, Executive Director of the Ashbrook Center, and this is The American Idea, coming to you from Peter Schramm's library in Ashland, Ohio. In this podcast, we explore America's crisis in civic education. Too many people today don't understand the history and principles that make us Americans. So we're here to explore America's history and principles and what they mean for today, what we can learn from them, and how we can restore them to their rightful place in our hearts and minds. We think it's the most important thing we can do as Americans to keep our experiment in self-government alive. So thank you for joining us in this important conversation. You can learn more about Ashbrook and the work we're doing with students, teachers, and citizens at ashbrook.org. I want to welcome everybody to this very special episode of The American Idea. We're honored today to have with us the 70th Secretary of State of the United States, Mike Pompeo. Secretary Pompeo, thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's wonderful to be with you. Um, Mr. Secretary, you, you got started in your education at the United States Military Academy at West Point. How did West Point shape you going forward? Oh my goodness, in so many ways. It both shaped me and, and created um, opportunities I would have never dreamed I could have had. Uh, you know, I, I think of my education is actually beginning with my family, uh, hmm. my parents, right? This was, an, this was just an important part of uh, me growing up. Maybe the most important thing they taught me was to work hard uh -huh. uh, and that that mattered uh, and that good things don't happen every day, but if you keep at it, uh, they often will. Uh, that, that, that set me up for this, uh, this place I had the chance to go to school uh, where I was surrounded by uh, a thousand plus classmates, all of whom came from widely varied backgrounds, uh, but there was, a, uh, there was an understanding of uh, meritocracy that was really uh, important. Uh, they, they taught the founding traditions of our country, they taught the importance of service to the nation, uh, and then they taught us the hard skills, right. the math, the reading, all, and the history, all, all, all that goes as part of that. Uh, it has absolutely shaped the way I think about America and the way I think about mm. uh, the obligation for each of us to try and serve in a way that uh, benefits us. From there, of course, you went on to serve in the United States military. What's a lesson that you picked up from your time in the U.S. military? Oh, goodness, there's so many. Mm. You know, I'll, I'll start with the one I got just at the very beginning. So okay. uh, your brand new second lieutenant, I showed up in my first assignment. I was the second platoon leader for a Bravo troop of the 1st Squadron, 2nd Armored Cavalry Regiment. Mm. Uh, I didn't know what the heck I was doing, right? I'd been, to, I'd been to the basic course, and I showed up in my unit, and there was a man named Sergeant First Class Pretree. He would have probably been 16, 18 year non-commissioned officer. So I, I show up, uh, the unit was in the field training. It was a tank unit. We had Brad, uh, we had 113s and uh, M1 tanks. And uh, I show up in the unit, walk up to Sergeant First Class Pretree. Uh, he saluted. I was the senior person, but he knew a lot more than I did. And he said, Lieutenant, you'll do really well if you'll just shut up for a while. <laughs> and, uh, and the truth is, uh, the lesson for me was uh, listening is important. The capacity to take on information, to absorb, uh, to not always be pushing to talk, to be, right. to be, to be prepared to, to listen, to take others' ideas, in the end, in that unit, I was responsible for its successes and its failures. I was a lieutenant, the senior member of the unit, uh, but I benefited enormously from that. Uh, what I think he meant in a little bit in jest and a, a little <laughs> bit with seriousness, um, and I've, I've tried to take that on to this day to make sure that I uh, listen to lots of different voices, lots of different people around me as I try to form uh, good judgments on how to make decisions. Out of the military, then of course you're going to private industry. 
and then into Congress, representing Kansas's fourth district in Congress. Um, in Congress, it's very easy, I think, for members of Congress to sort of calculate what their interests are. Mm -hmm. But some congressmen, yourself included, became known as people who really tried to stand on principle. What basic principles guided you as a member of Congress? So, uh, you know, there are, I, I guess, three sources for those principles that sort of lead to them. Uh, the first is my faith. <laughs> um, you, you can't separate that. I get asked all the time, how are you a Christian and a congressman? The answer is, well, I was elected to Congress, but I've been a Christian right. uh, since I, I came to, to know the Lord, uh, and they are, they are inseparable. That, that certainly drives the way, that informs my value set. So when you think of principles, that understanding, the Christian understanding of America and the world and of human dignity certainly informed it. Second, I was elected by the people of South Central Kansas. They had a decided view on how uh, congressmen ought to vote, how they ought to think about the world. Uh, it was a get out of my way, leave us alone, small government mindset. Uh, ag and energy were important, manufacturing. We made airplanes in Wichita, Kansas. And so those issues were a priority. And so when you boil them down to principles, it's an understanding of uh, the American economy and how it works and how risk takers should be rewarded. And when you do that, communities are better off and, and families are better off. Uh, and then the last piece just comes from um, the, the life that I had led before that. Uh, so even when I was uh, in Congress, my, my wife and I still tried our best to be involved in lots of things. Uh, we love Wichita State University basketball. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, we were still involved in our church at Eastminster Presbyterian. So these, the, the way one incorporates one's principles and understandings across all of the places one finds themselves in life. None of us have just one role. Right. Uh, I was a dad, I was a husband, all of those things. Uh, I think those principles play out across those as well. In Congress, you were sometimes known to be willing to buck your party leaders if they pushed policies that you did not agree with. Um, why is that? It's interesting. It, it's true. Um, in, in the end, you are a member. You were elected to do the things that you believe are right and then explain them to the constituents you represent, and they get to either send you back or send you home. Uh, and. Uh, and so I always tried to honor that every way that I could. Sometimes party leadership would just have a different view. The, uh, the party would be in a different place than me. Uh, during my time, they often wanted to spend more than I wanted to spend. You were not uh, a fiscal uh, I was. We were trying to keep money in the hands of families in Kansans. Uh, not, frankly, not very successfully. Uh, but that was the, the biggest conflict I had with uh, the Republican leadership is it had um, it, it too wanted to grow government, maybe just a little bit slower <laughs> than the other party did, and I, I thought we could do better than that. Uh, when President Trump was elected, of course, you, you became uh, director of the CIA. Uh, I think a lot of people who work for the CIA, of course, are often shrouded in secrecy. Mm -hmm. um, from your experience, tell us about the men and women who serve the United States and the CIA. Yeah, they're amazing. Um, what a a crazy privilege I had to be able to lead those men and women. In some ways it was like my time in military service. Hmm. The CIA officers who are the operators, there's analysts and operators, but the operators, the folks who are out collecting intelligence, a lot of veterans from the United States military service, mm -hmm. and the mindset is the same. Uh, work hard, focus on the mission, deliver outcomes, measure, fix what got wrong, and go after it again. It was a mindset that I knew well. Um, they, they often work in very difficult places, very dark space. Mm -hmm. um, they'll, never, they'll never be able to march in a parade like a, a soldier can, 
Uh, they'll never get rewarded when there's a bad when a bad day happens and one of them is injured or, heaven forbid, uh, killed on an assignment. It's often not known. Mm -hmm. um, it is a, a difficult life, but a rewarding life. And they are remarkable people who I saw in just I was only there 18 months, but who I saw in my 18 months save countless American lives. You're, you became, of course, then 70th United States Secretary of State. Um, in your time as Secretary of State, the United States faced many foreign policy challenges. If you could pick one, and maybe it's not fair, but if you could pick one, what would be, in your opinion, the greatest challenge you faced as Secretary of State? The, the greatest challenge that we, uh, we began to confront, and we, we didn't get all the way done with this, was the challenge presented by the Chinese Communist Party. Mm. There, is, there is only a single threat that can truly change the way we live in here in America. Um, like the Taliban, I spent time with the Taliban are bad. I spent time with Vladimir Putin, he's bad. I spent a lot of time with Chairman Kim in North Korea, bad. But the only one with uh, an economy of 1 with 1.4 billion people, an economy of our scale, and the intention of undermining the idea of Western civilization Mm. Uh, they are they are indeed the the greatest threat to us, and they were the the constant challenge during my time as both CIA director and Secretary of State. Before we continue with our conversation, I'd like to take a moment and ask you to learn a little more about the Ashbrook Center and how you can help us continue our work with teachers, students, and citizens. I'm Chad Kiefer, director of philanthropy and strategic partnerships here at Ashbrook. At its heart, America's story is about the lives of patriots who have given their last full measure of devotion to preserve and protect what it means to be an American. But the tragic truth is that the American story is being rewritten as one of oppression and despair. Back in 1776, the founders took a chance when they created a new government built on principles of liberty. They took a chance on America. Now I'm challenging you to do the same. Your gift to Ashbrook today reaches students, teachers, and citizens across the country, helping them to understand why America is worthy of their devotion. With so many forces eroding our history and taking away from our principles, isn't it time we give America a chance? Your investment is encouraged now more than ever. Please visit us today at ashbrook.org support. Um, what do you think the prospects are for confronting that challenge? What do you think the United States needs to do to effectively confront the challenge of the Chinese Communist Party? Yeah, it's a long answer because it's a complicated problem mm, set yeah. and, and, and at scale. Uh, but two ideas. Uh, the first is we have to recognize the problem. The first, the first step of every 12-step program is acknowledging that you've got to fix it. And I think we're now there. I think the American people now can see that the Chinese Communist Party built its economy on the backs of the American worker for 40 years. And even in here in a place like Ohio, I can't tell you how many tens of thousands of Ohio jobs destroyed because we let them steal our intellectual property, mm -hmm. study at our universities, steal our stuff. It's, um, it's been a one-way one transfer of human capital that is unrivaled in all of history. And so I, the first thing I would say is you, you have to solve the problem that is the problem here inside the gates, inside the country, mm -hmm. uh, what it is the Chinese Communist Party is doing. We often think about, it, oh, go fight in Beijing or Taiwan. The first thing is you have to protect the American people from the threat here in the homeland. Uh, the second thing we have to do is acknowledge that we're going to need friends and partners in this. Mm. So the United States will lead it. Um, it's, the way, it's the way the world sits today. 
Uh, and that's a good thing. I don't mean that it's just, well, darn it, it's going to have to be us. We're going to have to go do this. It's a good thing. We want America to be that global leader. Uh, but we will need the Japanese, the Australians, the South Koreans, the Europeans. We will need the Indians all to come to have our shared understanding of this threat. When we do, when, when they do, when they can see that their people will be worse off if they become a vassal state of China, uh, then I'm confident we'll, we'll get it right. We'll, we'll solve this. We'll move our way forward. Uh, there'll be costs. There'll be bad days. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but it will have been a worthy undertaking and the United States will have saved itself and the Western order in a way that will matter for the next generation and the generation after it. I think a lot of people, of course, given your time in, uh, Director of the CIA and Secretary of State, think about Mike Pompeo and they think about foreign policy and confronting sure. yeah. intelligence and foreign threats. But uh, from your time in Congress, you also had a deep concern with education, in particular what you saw as federal overreach and intrusion on education. Um, and now you've turned to talking quite a bit publicly about the importance of civic education, of, of the education of citizens, especially young people. How, why has civic education become so important to you? It's what you all do here, right? It's, uh, so the greatest, I, when I answered your question, I, I, you asked me what the greatest threat from outside the country was. The greatest threat from inside the country is we forget about the American founding. Mm -hmm. Or worse yet, we teach something about it which is blatantly untrue. Right? We teach that we were founded on racist ideas. We teach that somehow uh, it was uh, property holders abusing another class. It's just, th this, this was an, a founding of a nation that is unequaled in all of human history. And you can't survive. America, the America I love and know and that has given me so much, can't survive without that civic understanding, the, the need for decency and respect, for virtue, mm -hmm. and for recognition of uh, the, the Judeo-Christian heritage that, that our founders understood so well. They provided the structure for us, but they reminded us all the time. You can go read the Federalist Papers. Right. They reminded us all the time uh, that this was a nation built on people of virtue. Mm -hmm. And if you walk away from that, uh, it, it doesn't work. And so, uh, so we need to make sure that uh, in our homes, in our schools, K through 12, colleges, uh, every place that Americans gather knowledge, we need to be very clear about the greatness, the exceptionalness of this nation. Mm -hmm. We're happy to talk about all the problems. We got many. There's lots of things we could do better. I've got ideas. You'd have them. Uh, but in the end, uh, this is a, a place that has been a force for good for not only uh, the people of the United States of America, but for the, the human uh, dignity of so many others all across the globe. Right. And as, as you suggest, we can't forget the founders called America an experiment. Yes. <laughs> right. Franklin said, I, I gave you a republic. <laughs> see, see what y'all can do with it. Yeah. I, that's my Kansas. If we can keep it. That's my Kansas shorthand for that's what right. he described. <laughs> exactly. Well, of course, as you said, Ashbrook has been in the business of educating Americans in the history and principles of our country since 1983 when we were founded by Ronald Reagan. We always like to ask our guests here on The American Idea their favorite person in American history. Yeah, it's always hard to pick one. Uh, it would be too easy to pick President Reagan. He was my commander in chief uh, when I came out of West Point. It's a good choice um, for Ashburn. But I'm happy, I'm happy to go back even, uh, even further. Uh, when you think of someone like George Washington and the, the idea of public service, I, I read a book about Martha the other day uh, and the sacrifices that she made to allow her husband to go serve in these roles where, and you know, I, I think about it, I was a congressman, I flew back and forth home, my wife was in Kansas. It was hard, right? 
um, there was no way for President Washington or uh, General Washington right. to get back home. Uh, he would get to see his family only on the rarest of occasions. They made this enormous sacrifice. And then when the time came where he could have been declared king or emperor or ruler or whatever the heck he wanted, mm -hmm. um, he said, no, I want America to be different from that. I want it not to be ruled but governed. And that's pretty darn special. Yeah, an amazing statesman. Uh, re truly remarkable. Yeah. Uh, you, you, can, you, can only, you, you can't hope to emulate. You can only hope to be inspired. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a choice I agree with. I have a bust of General Washington ah, on my desk. So. Very nice. <laughs> All right, I got, I got it right. Jeff, thank you. Secretary Pompeo, thank you very much thank for joining you. us. Thank you. It was wonderful to be with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The American Idea. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe at Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a five-star review. If you want to learn more or get involved in Ashbrook's vital work, visit our website, ashbrook.org.